Better than this, guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Friday edition of the show. Lots to get into today. We've got the uh, underclassmen deadline for declaring for the draft here today, uh, conference championship weekend in the NFL, and of course, the Shrine Game. Kyle, welcome. Yeah, we got a lot to dig into, Joe, and... Uh... Just a little tidbit for underclassmen declarations. Remember, uh, the declaration has to be announced by today, but you have until the 20th to announce that you've changed your mind. That would be annoying to me. We've already had one, right? Keelan Hill from Mississippi State. The the running back went back to Mississippi State to play with Mike Leach. You got to love it. Well, let's be completely honest here. This was... Oh my God, look at the rest of the running back class. I'm going to go back because this is a nightmare to be amongst in this running back class. So let me go back and I'll get 80 carries and 60 catches under Mike Leach next year. And then I'll be a senior and come out and have really good stock in my pass catching skills. Might be good for him to show that ability to catch the football. The big names that I feel like we're still waiting on, and I, I'd be surprised if these guys didn't come, but Caleb on chase on from LSU, Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson, um, Isaiah Simmons, the defensive player from Clemson, and A.J. Terrell from Clemson. I, I, those are the four guys I'm most, most interested in finding out their fate today, but you know we're going to get some, some surprises on guys that have been holding out and you know make that last-minute splurge to enter. I noticed you referred to Isaiah Simmons as a defensive player. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's people are getting hung up on, well, what do you do with him? You play him on defense is what you do with him. You can play him anywhere. You can play him at safety linebacker. He can play slot corner. He can rush the passer. You just get him on the field. And um, I, I have a mock draft on Monday, and I think people are going to be surprised by where I have him pegged. But when you really think about it, it'll make a lot of sense. People's knee jerk, they'll be pissed off. But once they think about it, like, you know what? That was a good idea. So you put him at four to the Giants. Nope, I didn't. Damn. (laughs) Okay, I'm hoping you just said that and just to not ruin the the unveiling. But I'm going to stick with that. Okay. All right, so... As far as underclassmen declarations, since we're talking about it, it seems like, do you anticipate we'll get enough of a push today to put us in a position where we challenge, I believe the record last year was like the mid-130s. It doesn't feel like we're near that because we've, we're right now we're under 110. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get there, Kyle, which is interesting because there's been some people that mentioned the possible lockout in 2021 Uh, in the NFL as a reason why we would get a lot of underclassmen this year, but that hasn't proven to be the case at this point. Yeah. And I thought the other interesting thing was you, you had a lot of guys that would have benefited from that as potential top 
50, 60 players who mm-hmm. inevitably elected to come back to school. And, and there's more variables and factors here that go into it than just financial decision. But guys like Creed Humphrey and Chuba Hubbard and Carlos Basham and Alex Leatherwood and uh, Devonta Smith, Dylan Moses, like these guys could have made some money this year and, and gotten into the league before the lockout. But I guess the other side of the the lockout coin is if you wait until the CBA expires, if it expires, you know, you might be able to financially benefit from a better deal for rookie pay, wage scale. That's true. Um, that's a good way to, I haven't considered that flip side of it. And one hand, I, I am encouraged by the numbers coming down. They're still high, but you know, we, in years past, it's been between 30 and 35% of these guys not getting drafted. And I'll be interested to see how all of those variables come into play. And if we still, you know, are in that plus 30% range. So it's conference championship weekend. Sunday, we get the Titans and Chiefs for the AFC championship game, the Packers and 49ers in the NFC championship game. I've already heard the conspiracy theories that this is, this is the hundredth season or something of the NFL. And the first ever Super Bowl was uh, Packers chiefs. And it's a possibility. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's coincidental more than anything, but I guess we could start with the AFC side of things. Tennessee traveling to Arrowhead stadium in Kansas city to take on the chiefs. And the chiefs obviously had the huge out- offensive outpouring against a really bad Houston defense and Tennessee's defense is a billion times better than uh, what uh, Houston has. And so I'm anxious to see how, you know, this defense matches up with a, another really good offense. And if they're able to stop them, right, Tennessee did good against Baltimore and um, d- different challenges with Kansas city. I guess where I get nervous about Tennessee's chances of stealing this game is if it comes down to Ryan Tannehill, if, if he has to be a bigger part of the reason why the Titans win, you know, Derrick Henry's been the catalyst for this offense. And Kansas City doesn't have a dominant defense that's going to strike fear. They're giving up almost 500 yards and over 30 points per game. But will it be? can Ryan Tannehill take advantage of it if, it's, if he has to be the reason they win the game? Well, I think what's interesting is this game's already happened this year. And Tennessee won that game, and they scored a lot of points in that game. So from an entertainment value, I think it's it'll be very fun to see the clash in styles with Tennessee ball control, run the ball, selective, uh, aggressive shots in the passing game versus Kansas City, who is pedal to the metal all the time. They'll have home field advantage, aerial assault, spread you out, I anticipate Kansas City will win the game. I'm hoping Kansas City wins the game more than anything else, Joe, because I would really like to see Andy Reid get a Super Bowl ring. Yep. Yep, that's been a big reason why I'm on board with the Chiefs this year. He's he's done a lot for people around him, and man, he deserves it. What One thing that's interesting, that when you were talking about how this game's already happened, so did that um, Houston game and, and the chiefs lost that one. So they've avenged their loss to Houston. They're on the brink of avenging their loss to Tennessee. And if they get to the super bowl, they will have a chance to avenge another one of their losses to the green Bay Packers this year. Kind of an interesting storyline. 
revenge tour 2020. <laughs> Just get to the playoffs and then we're going to smash every team that beat us. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't considered that. That's um that's a fun angle to take. The Chiefs are 7 point favorites at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um we've reached the the part of the program where we both have to stake our flag in the ground, huh? Yeah. Give me I'm ca- Give me Kansas City by 10. Final score. I'm comfortable with Kansas City as well. I think, you know, Tennessee's had a great run. They they, you know, their last 3 games going to Houston, to New England, to Baltimore, and winning games um, dating back to, you know, week 17, everything that they've needed to do. I think, you know, they've been in a playoff mode for a while now, considering what needed to happen for them to get here. I just feel like it runs out of steam this week to go into Arrowhead in a big game like this with the Chiefs offense humming like it like it is right now. And I know that the Chiefs don't have the best defense, but they've had some okay performances lately. Okay, so we have San Francisco and Green Bay. Uh, Seattle at least made the Packers sweat. Uh, San Francisco, I think, really has an advantage as far as the – how do I want to word this? These teams played earlier, correct? That seems to be the the trend. I'm going to look it up while while you keep going here. I'm fairly sure these teams played in San Francisco one. You are correct. They won 37 to 28 or 37 to eight. They killed them. 30. Well, they beat the shit out of them is what they yeah. did. Okay. In late November too. I would be willing to bet this game is more competitive than that one. <laughs> but uh, I think the coolest storyline out of this game Joe, is if you think back to when Aaron Rodgers got drafted, he was growing up a San Francisco fan and went to Cal and San Francisco was the local team and they had the number one pick and they elected to choose Alex Smith over him and then Aaron Rodgers falls all the way into the 20s in the draft and they asked Aaron after he got drafted. And one of the very first things he said is they're – the 49ers are going to regret on passing me. And to my knowledge, this is the highest stakes game that Aaron Rodgers has ever played against the 49ers. So it'd be really fun. We've already wrenched it with the, uh, the chief side of things. Revenge tour 2020. I see Aaron Rodgers on his revenge tour, having lost the head to head matchup in the regular season, uh, pull off an upset, to move the Packers onto the Super Bowl and turn back San Francisco. I think that would be a really fun kind of culmination of Rodgers' journey as a top-end elite NFL quarterback to finally stick it in a championship game to the team that dra- that elected not to draft him that was his favorite team and hometown team uh, for where he went to college. You're trying to butter me up and get me to pick the Packers. Because I don't know, man. I don't know that they're going to be able to handle this front seven that the 49ers have. No comment. San Francisco's at home. I think that'll matter a ton. Um, 
Aaron Rodgers in a big game is something that interests me. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, not to the same degree as Ryan Tannehill, but Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't been a big catalyst for the 49ers success. And so when I think about him having to be a bigger reason why they win, I do get some pause. And if it just comes down to who the better quarterback is in a big game, you're going to want to go with Aaron Rodgers. But when you think about the front seven that San Francisco has, when you think about how well they run the football, when you think about um, just kind of the, the momentum that they have throughout the course of the season being at home for the NFC Championship game, it makes me, you know, it, it makes me doubt that 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 moment where I would get nervous about Jimmy G having to be, you know, the the guy that goes toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers. All of those variables working together leads me to believe that. You know, it's this is kind of the 49ers game to, to to lose, and you know they're seven and a half point favorites at home. Um, you said something there that stuck with me, and then it left me. Hmm. Man, I'm well, totally bra- I'm totally brain farting on what I I was like. That's a really good angle to take, and then it's gone. It's completely to, gone. Toe to toe, the front seven. Uh, the road momentum. No. If it's just going to come down to who the better quarterback is in a big moment. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It would be the biggest blow to quarterbacks matter to see a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill and Jimmy Garoppolo playing each other. Mm-hmm. That would be, I think, the it. it it would have been so unpredictable to see that materialize if we said it was going to happen at the beginning of the season. But it's a good testament to the the way that you have to be. It puts you in conflict because winning in the the regular season looks pretty different than the way you almost have to win a lot of times in the postseason. And the ways you win in the postseason is being able to kill games by running the ball effectively and, you know, getting your third down and short conversions. And a lot of that falls back into two teams that run the ball really well and Derrick Henry and the Titans and Kyle Shanahan's outside zone rushing offense and how potent that is. And then how you, you build off of that. And, and I'm not saying you have to quote unquote establish the run, but when you have to get three yards, are you confident and do you know and are you going to execute and go out and get four yards and then play stout defense and then so I I think that's a really fascinating sub storyline of the championship games is you have two teams that are really bucking the trend of you need to have an elite quarterback and then everything else like you just got to get hot because half of the championship games don't have elite quarterbacks with all due respect to Ryan and Jimmy Garoppolo at this point in their careers. And they also uh, are constructed and built as teams very differently to not lean and rely on the quarterback the way that so many of the consistently good teams that we've seen over the last 10 years or so have been. If you had to believe that Green Bay would be able to handle the 49ers rushing attack, you probably feel good about Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and, and Kenny Clark, even Dean Lyle, but Dean Lowry as guys in that front seven that, you know, are really stout at the point and have some lateral mobility to really handle things up front. But it's those those fill players that I think Green Bay kind of lacks to work over top and really shoot gaps to take away 
those creases where I just, I don't know. And, and Mike Pettin's never been good at scheming up run defense. So I get nervous about all those things. So what's the final score? The final score. Um, I will say 27 to 21 49ers. Mm. The last time I almost picked an, or the last time I tried to pick an upset, it almost materialized, but didn't work out great for me. So give me San Francisco 28, Green Bay 27. All right, so we're pretty close. Yeah. No, you had it as a one-point game. Yeah, I'm going to make it a real dramatic effect. Okay. All right, so we both see this the same way, which uh, means uh, congratulations, Titans and uh, Packers. for your. That yes. would be the weirdest Super Bowl, wouldn't it? Like, what? The Titans and Packers? All right, you want to finish this thing out with uh, some rapid-fire Shrine game uh, notes here? There's a lot of players that interest me uh, that are down there, and you're down there, and so let's just kind of go through the roster, and I'll, I'll hit you with some names, and you hit me with some high-level thoughts on what you've seen from them this week. Great. That sounds good, Joe. Definitely have never done this before. So, no. <laughs> This was definitely not in yesterday's oh. podcast, but we lost the audio. <laughs> yeah. This, we definitely didn't experience technical difficulties, so this will be a really fun, unique thing that's never been done before with us. I'll, I'll have to hit you with a couple guys that it, maybe I didn't ask about yesterday, but I will <laughs> keep it with... The, <laughs> I'll keep it with the quarterback that I was curious about yesterday because uh, obviously transferring out of Clemson, going to Missouri for the chance to improve his draft stock. I'm talking about Kelly Bryant from Missouri. Uh, Kelly, I don't think was the best quarterback here. I don't think Kelly was the best quarterback on his team. Kelly throws a nice ball, but uh, when you ask him to read the full field and work through progressions. He's a little slower in that capacity than what I feel comfortable with for a guy that is probably talked about outside the top 10 to 12 quarterbacks in this class. So he's a good athlete. He's got a nice arm, but I just think from a mental processing perspective, he's not at the speed for an NFL passer at this point in time. And uh, I would expect Kelly to to probably end up as a UDFA. Tavian Feaster, this running back from South Carolina, six foot, two hundred twenty one pounds, former Clemson Tiger. He's a guy that some people say can run four three. Kyle, what have you seen from Feaster? If Feaster runs four three, it ain't with pads on. Let's just say that. So Feaster had a good week this week. Yeah, he had a drop on. Wednesday that kind of you you would have preferred to see him haul in a really easy catch was just a, a simple concentration drop but as far as running in the backfield evaluating backs is kind of difficult in these settings because they're, you're not going to the ground you're not really trying to tackle guys uh, but he looked like he had some spring in his cuts he looked to have enough juice uh, to break some angles on the second level but uh, I, I thought 
he had the potential to to be a sleeper coming through, and I think he didn't show anything that would put any teams off to him that liked him based on his film. You've mentioned Ohio State wide receiver Benjamin Victor and Indiana wide receiver Nick Nick Westbrook as a couple of guys that have stood out this week. There's two other mm-hmm. receivers that I'm interested in. Um, I'll go ahead and give you both names here. One is Boise State wide receiver John Hightower. He had some buzz midseason uh, by some other uh, draft guys that I respect, so anxious to get your thoughts there. And, of course, a guy that I enjoyed watching play at Virginia, Joe Reed, who uh, was unbelievable this year as a kick returner. Yeah, unfortunately, Joe didn't really flash to me at all throughout the course of the week. Uh, was expecting slash hoping uh, to see some some play out of him that I really uh, thought could help his stock. As he, as you said, his tape was pretty uh, dynamic, uh, but he didn't really separate himself uh, throughout the course of this week. It was uh, more small school kids uh, that that had success getting some momentum for themselves from the wide receiver perspective. And then uh, Hightower does everything well except catch the football. I think he dropped five balls on the first Ooh. day of practice. <laughs> it was like, holy cow, this kid can move. And then holy cow, where are your hands? Uh, so it was really sobering on the first day. And he stabilized a little bit but I felt like he wasn't moving as fast. The rest, he was like almost a little bit more deliberate with, with his routes, but I thought he had really good juice uh, getting off the line for a, a big, big wiry frame and uh, had a couple opportunities to, to really make some exciting plays and just could not finish anything. And then started dropping a couple routine ones. So a bad first day of practice for Hightower really left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Dominic Wood Anderson, a tight end from Tennessee. He was a JUCO recruit that mm-hmm. had a lot of buzz when he went over to uh, you know Knoxville, and he didn't do much at Tennessee, but he's at the Shrine game, and curious to hear if you've seen anything from him. Yeah, he's got nice hands, uh, but there's no explosiveness that I've seen in his game. So separating against man-to-man coverage and getting separation against linebackers uh, isn't something that I see being – particularly easy for him it seemed like a lot of his targets came uh when he was running like shallow crossers or sitting down in holes against zone coverage so uh, i think he's pretty limited athletically and that's not going to help his cause i'm going to give you the field on offensive linemen because typically at shrine it's just not a great showcase for offensive linemen it's not the most talented guys and offensive line uh, offensive linemen usually the all-star circuit isn't overly kind to them just given the, sh- the context and structure of practices is there any offensive linemen that pop for you mike dan or michael and when you uh the guard from michigan who checked in at 362 34 and a half inch arms i thought had the best feet of any lineman on either team and a really strong anchor. I like his build. Uh, he's a guy who I think just needs to kind of polish up some of his angles out of his stance and, and framing blocks better, but he has the mobility to be really, really effective in at the, at the point of attack. So Michael and Wayne, I thought was the biggest winner from either side for offensive linemen. Wow. Um, okay, there's sort of like a lot of defensive linemen that I'm interested in, uh, so I'll, I'll try to keep this to just a couple. First of all, I, I, I do want to hear about Alex Smith. 
the pass rusher from UNC Charlotte who played, had a good game against Clemson, a lot of production. Uh, and then while you talk about him, I'll consider the other one I want to get to. Yeah, Alex Highsmith, I expect to be the highest drafted player from this year's event. Uh, I think he can push into the top 100. Uh, he's stacked really well as far as his build. Uh, he checked in at 247 with 33 and one eighth inch arm. So he, he meets the requisite length and you know he's right on the fringe for size i expect he'll show up at the combine with a couple more pounds on him to get up over 250 and good first step he showed powerful hands in the bag drills good body control and flexibility Uh, i believe he's had 39 and a half tackles for loss over the last two years at uh, charlotte and 17 sacks over the last two years and that's in uh, 25 games 17 sacks and almost 40 tackles for loss in 25 games, uh, dominating Conference USA and and having some good showings against some of the other competition he's played over the course of uh, his career there. He's played Clemson and Tennessee and showed really well. So Highsmith, I thought, got hurt by a really deep edge class for the Senior Bowl. And in, in an average year, he's there. Uh, so he's the guy I think will be the, the premier shrine prospect for 2020. I guess I have to settle on my namesake, Garrett Marino from UAB. How'd he do? He had a great week. Uh, he was, he's a bowling ball and he makes a mess of the point of attack. He's an older prospect. Um, so from a physicality perspective, he, he's a little more physically mature than a lot of guys. And, and that does show as far as you know, he's dense, he's thick He's only 6'1", but he was really disruptive all week long, and it was very difficult to miss him in the one-on-ones and miss him in the team drills because he's routinely walking guys back into the backfield. So Marino, uh, I'm not sure where he'll get coveted as an older prospect. I think age will be a factor in if he gets drafted and how early he gets drafted, but he had a great week of practice. All right, let's uh, shift to linebackers here and ask you about Denzel Perry. Oh, I mean, uh, Shaquille Quarterman, the linebacker from Miami. Yeah, I see what you did there. And it works. (laughs) Um, Shaq was exactly what you hoped he would be in inside run. Uh, Pop the pads, quick to flow, quick to process, get downhill. Is he overly flexible in the hips? No. Is he going to be a guy that runs Tampa 2 zone drops for you? No. Is he going to play effective man-to-man coverage against running backs out of the backfield? No. But he can give you shallow zones underneath, and he's a stalwart in the run game. And I thought he showcased all of that this week. So what's the value of a, a starting caliber early down linebacker in the NFL? That's to be determined. It's probably not the top 75, unfortunately, but uh, he's going to be a good football player for somebody. And and he had, he checked every box I was hoping he would check this week. I want to give you the field on defensive backs, because I feel like that's one of those positions where somebody really pops it. Last year, it was kind of like uh, Jimmy Moreland uh, from James Madison. There's just competitive scrappy dudes. Did you get any of those vibes from any of these DBs? Not to the Jimmy Moreland, uh, BJ Blunt, degree right like those guys last year it's like oh my god I'm, I'm i'm falling in love with these guys uh because they love to chirp they love to talk um 
I thought Lavert Hill had a decent week this week for Michigan. Uh, he's not a big guy, but he showed his explosiveness pretty well. Uh, I thought John Reed from Penn State, kind of a corner safety hybrid type player, also had a good week this week. But if I were going to pick the big winner in the secondary, uh, I would probably look towards Chris Williamson from Minnesota. Uh, I know I've talked to, I mentioned him a little earlier uh, in the week. Williamson is a Florida transfer, and I'm really intrigued by him. So he's the guy that I'm walking away from this event, and I'm fascinated with uh, what he put on display as far as physicality, turn and run skills, lower body mobility. I can't wait to dig into his tape because I thought he made the biggest impression of any of the defensive backs. Can you um, fancy me with a kicker or a punter take? Johnny Townsend has a hose. <laughs> okay. No further you asked questions, for the, Your Honor. You asked for this yesterday, and I said I had no kicker and punter takes for you. And I can confirm Johnny Townsend has a monster leg. So that's your kicker or punter take. Thank you. Yes, you're very welcome. Thank you for tuning into the Draft Dudes podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed this week's uh, untraditional coverage between Joe Tackle and Takes on Takes by his lonesome. And then we got some shrine coverage. Uh, Next week we'll be at the Senior Bowl. Joe will again be on Baby Watch. So he is recording from the comfort of his own home which after a week in a holiday in, I'm actually a little jealous of before being honest, but uh, we'll have you covered next week as well for the senior bowl. Uh, come back and see us on Monday when Joe drops his next most recent mock draft. We're going to have a good time tearing that thing to shreds. So come on back, see us enjoy the championship games. And thanks as always for listening to the draft dudes podcast. <laughs>